right into it. Let's have a prayer. And then we're going to go to Matthew 5. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you so much, Father, for this Lord's Day you've given us to come together and to study more from the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher, who is your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you will bless our study today, that you will bless us to gain good understanding and to most importantly apply the things that we learn. We're especially mindful of our young people in their classes and all the Bible class teachers. We pray, Father, that this hour of study be that will be something that will ultimately honor and glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as I said, um, we've got a lot to talk about in a relatively short amount of time, so I want to pick up the pace a little bit today in our class. And I want to be a little bit more strategic in where I take comments because I want to make sure I get through this material. I, I need to be at a certain place here because i got to go out of town for a couple of gospel meetings next month. And so I do want to make sure we kind of cover this material a little bit. So I'm going to be a little bit more strategic in where the comments are taken, and I'm going to pick up the pace just a little bit. So over the last few classes, we've been going through the Beatitudes section of the Sermon on the Mount. And I hope the main thing you've seen here in the text is the main thing that God wants above anything else from us is our hearts. This is a sermon about hearts. It is a sermon about having hearts that are molded and shaped in a way that is truly devoted to God. God wants our hearts to be a very certain kind of way. And so we've looked at several of these, what we call Beatitudes. God wants our hearts to be poor in spirit, to understand our spiritual poverty before God. He wants us to have hearts that mourn over sin. Hearts that are gentle towards others. Hearts that hunger and thirst for righteousness. To know God, to know God's Word. Hearts that are merciful. Because we understand first and foremost the mercy that God has had toward us. When we're really touched by the mercy that God has towards us, when He forgave us for our sins, well then we'll have an easier time being like that good Samaritan and showing mercy towards others. And then our last point last time was about hearts that are poor in spirit. We got plenty of seats here. Come on in here, brother, and get yourself, get yourself Jonathan. Jonathan, come on in here, Jonathan. Uh, we want to have hearts that are that are pure. Now, when we talked about pure hearts. <laughs> there you go. You squeeze right in there. <laughs> uh, when we talked about hearts that were pure last time, this is not so much talking about integrity, although that can be part of it. But when Jesus talks about pure hearts here, he's really talking about genuine hearts. That's the idea here in the context. He's talking about hearts that are genuine, unadulterated, not full of hypocrisy, and undivided. That's what the Lord is talking about here in the context. Pure hearts that are not full of hypocrisy. And that is something that the Pharisees certainly did not have. And remember, this sermon is really a shot at them for the most part. It was a shot at the Pharisees. They did not have pure hearts. They looked like they did when you looked at their, their outward actions, but inwardly they were corrupt. They had undivided or divided hearts, I'm sorry. 
hearts that were first and foremost trying to please men and had no devotion towards God. And so Jesus says there are blessings that come upon you when you're not like the Pharisees, when you have a pure heart. Now how do you develop a pure heart? Well, there are two ways you, you, you get it. First, you've got to understand you can't fool God. People who don't have pure hearts fail to understand that they, while they may be fooling people, they're not fooling God. As you read the Gospel of Luke this year, as you keep reading through Luke, please pay close attention to just how often Jesus shows us His ability to read hearts. He does it over and over again in Luke. He does it one interesting time in Luke chapter 7 at a dinner with, at, in the home of a Pharisee. Try having dinner with Jesus and see how weird that would be and uncomfortable that would make you. That you're having dinner with somebody who can read your mind. Jesus makes that known at this dinner with the Pharisee, that he can read minds. And you talk about being uncomfortable. Being with somebody to where you know you can't get away with anything with them. You make him fool him with your facial expressions and your nodding and, and all these different kind of things. But Jesus knows the heart. And so when a person understands they can't fool God, well then maybe that will help them develop a pure heart. And then a second way you develop a pure heart is just truly love God. Truly be devoted to God. When you recognize you can't fool God, and when you truly love Him, and when you're truly devoted to Him, well, then you'll have a pure heart. And that's what the Lord is talking about there in that text. And so you in Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 9. Verse 9 as we move on. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be, they shall be called the sons of God. Now listen carefully to my question. This is in your workbook. Listen carefully to the question. The key word is initial here. When you read this, don't explain to me all the meaning of it yet. Just tell me what's your initial reaction. What is your initial reaction when you read the words of Jesus? Yes, sir, Ryan. Start us up. I think of the other verse, live peaceably with all men. Mm. So you're thinking about, well, you think more about relationships, am I right? Being at peace with brothers and sisters. Everybody. Being at peace with the world. And that's certainly a biblical thing. I mean, Paul talks about that in, in Romans chapter 12. I mean, while we don't ever want to compromise our faith. That was my initial reaction. We, we, we don't, though, want to be troublemakers. Right. And you, when we react this year, we're going to see the early Christians were not troublemakers. They lived in a, in a wicked world, a wicked empire. But they were not troublemakers. Uh, they were peaceful people. In fact, when you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 47, when the church first came into existence, it says that they have favor with all the people. That means in the beginning, people liked the Christians. Even the Jews did, because they were worshiping at the temple. That means that the Jews, like, they, they may have looked at them as kind of weird, because they took on this new religion of Christianity, but they had no problem giving them space at the temple to worship. So they were, they were peaceful people. Uh, what else? What's another initial reaction when you see Jesus talks about a peacemaker? What's another initial reaction you get? Yes, sir, Andy. I just thought it was kind of ironic how Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker, yet he dies on the cross being hated by pretty much everyone. So Yes. Um, it's kind of like... He brought a different type of peace, right? So if you looked at it from a world standpoint, he didn't bring peace, but 
You, you really did in, in, for a lot of people. I want to say more about that, Andy, because that's exactly, I think, where the Lord is going here. Michelle, go ahead, ma'am. You had a comment. To become one. To become a peacemaker? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's what Jesus is saying here. We, you, we need to be peacemakers. <clears throat> and I think the question we would need to consider this morning is how do we do that? How do we become that, Michelle? Well, let's, let's start with Jesus here. Because I think we become peacemakers by becoming like Jesus. So, when a lot of people see this idea of being a peacemaker, their initial reaction, and certainly mine was, is you think about peace with, with people. A lot of people think world peace. You know, Jesus came to bring world peace. Will there ever be world peace? No. <laughs> it's never going to be world peace. But you know what? The Jews in the first century, they they certainly would not have liked this idea of Jesus. I mean, imagine being a Jew. Imagine being a Jew in the first century. And you hate the Romans. I mean, you hate them. You absolutely can't stomach being under their authority. You want liberation. And you believe the Old Testament teaches you that the Messiah is going to bring that. If we think the Jews were looking for a spiritual Messiah, then we just don't get it. They were not. They were looking for somebody like who from the Old Testament? They were looking for a David. They were looking for a David to show up. And you got Jesus coming here talking about peace. They don't want peace. They want war. They want David. They want somebody to come and give them back the glory days where they have liberation from the nations. So Jesus comes and he's talking about peace. They don't want peace. They don't want world peace. They don't want peace with the Romans. Maybe you think about peace in a community. Maybe you think about peace in your family. While I think, and you're right, Ryan, we need peace with our communities. We need peace with our families. The Bible teaches that. But let's go back here as we look at the core of what the Lord is saying here. When you look at all these things we've looked at so far, what is the Lord going for here in the text? Well, what's the first word of verse 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11? What's the first word? He's, looking for, he's going for blessing. That's what he's going for here. Blessing from God. It's all about God. It's, God, it's about God first and foremost, and that's hard for us to see because so often we're quick to think about us and, and the people we see. But Jesus is going for God here. He's talking about blessing from God. Finding approval with God. Finding spiritual peace with God. We're not talking about world kingdoms here. We're not talking about communities. We're not talking about family here. Jesus is talking spiritual. And, and that's something we've got to challenge ourselves to always do when we read the teachings of Jesus. Is put the spiritual thinking cap on. Because Jesus is always going for the spiritual. Not the physical. Jesus is talking about peace with God, having a life and a mindset and a heart that is at peace with God. That's why Jesus came into the world. And that goes back to what Andy was saying. Jesus didn't come into the world to bring world peace. He didn't come into the world to make it so there would not be wars and rumors of wars. Jesus came into the world to make it so that you and I can be at peace with God. That's what this is about. Sister Sharon, go right ahead, man. 
I have to wonder if the reason that the Jews in the first century had such a difficult time was because of their own history. So they were they were told there was going to be a Messiah, and they thought that meant an earthly king. And it kind of makes me wonder if they were thinking this deliverance was going to come in the same way that the the promised land was delivered to the children of Israel, because God told them to go in and conquer. Yes. And so it, you can kind of see where that conflict would come in. No, that's exactly right. I think they had a history with war and dominating nations through military power. And also, they took a lot of pride in who they were as a people, and they still do today, those who acknowledge, or say they're Jews. They took a lot of pride in being descendants of Abraham. And, and it got to a point of arrogance and even racism with the Jews. So they didn't like Gentiles. They definitely liked being under the authority of Gentiles. And David was a national hero for them. And, and even going back even further than that with Joshua and Abraham, they were military leaders in their own right. And so this was just immersed in their minds. This is how it was going to be. And the truth is, it still is to this day. <laughs> it still is to this day. They're waiting. They, most Jews do not believe in Jesus. They are waiting for the Messiah to still come. And they think he's going to kick the Muslims off of the Dome of the Rock where their you know, uh, place of worship is and give them back um, Israel. They're still waiting for that. So it, it's still it's still there. So that's a good point, Sharon. That's a good point. So look at look at some scriptures here. I want to show you something here, and then I'll give you a couple other chances to make some comments here. But let me just say a few things real quick. Look at Psalm twenty nine. I want to show you some scriptures here that I think will tie in Ryan's comment, Michelle, and Andy's comment here. And in Psalm twenty nine, verse eleven. Remember, I told you that much of the Sermon on the Mount. Is already coming from the Old Testament. This is not new stuff here. Much of this is from the Psalms. And in Psalm 29 and verse 11, verse 11, excuse me, Psalm 29 and verse 11 says, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will, here's that word, bless his people with peace. There it is. This is talking about spiritual peace here. The Lord will bless His people with peace. Now, how does He do that? Well, Andy nailed it. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah chapter 9 in verse number 6, when talking about the Messiah, and I think the Jews, most Jews just overlook this uh, or, or, or interpret it in a selfish way. But in Psalm 9 in verse 6, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on His shoulders, and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, meaning he's going to have father-like qualities, and Prince of Peace. He's going to bring peace. Now go to Luke chapter 2. Did you recognize this? Remember the, the point of this Luke Bible reading, to read the same chapter every day, is to try to notice things you've never noticed before. That's the point. And in Luke 2, I found this interesting. When Remember when the shepherds are out in the field and angels appear to them announcing the birth of Jesus? It says in verse 13, in Luke 2 verse 13, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God of the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he was pleased. Now you may see that, that quotation there on a lot of Hallmark cards, verse 14, but it's being used in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. 
there was not world peace in the time of Jesus. There was many wars going on. And there were continue to be many wars. This is talking about the angels celebrating that the one who brings spiritual peace had come into the world. When we say spiritual peace, we mean that Jesus came to make it so that there won't be a barrier between men and God anymore. Because when we're in sin, the Bible says we're not friends of God. But we're what? We're enemies of God. We're not at peace with God. And Jesus came to, to make it so that's, that's not the case anymore if we obey God. Yes, sir, brother. I was going to say, peace to me means reconciliation. Yes, exactly what it is. It's, that's a great word there, Rick. I love that. Reconciliation. And that's another word that's used in the gospel to describe what Jesus did. is reconcile us to God. And, and that's exactly how peace comes or what, what peace is about. It is being two parties reconciled. And Jesus, he did that. He bridged that gap. Absolutely. Brother Don, yes sir. I, I can't remember the passage, book, chapter, and verse, but he gave us the right to become children of God. Yes. And it's that process yes. of making peace between us that allows us to become the children that is referenced here in that blessed verse. I can't remember where that's at either, Don, but it's probably some Paul wrote. I think, yep, I think that's, a, that's a good guess. <laughs> I just can't, but you're right. It's in there somewhere, but I, but you're right. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Did you have a comment too, ma'am? Go ahead. Um, I think also, you know, we, we know that peace comes from God's Word and following God. And I think part of being peacemakers is giving the word to others and bringing them that peace as well. Oh, that's wonderful. So that actually, you must have been looking at my notes. <laughs> because that takes me, that actually takes me to the next thing I want to talk she about. She it for you, didn't you? Yeah, she set me up real nice there. So let's talk about that a little bit. Okay, so we got an understanding of what Jesus means here. First, got to think peace with God. Okay, so we want to have peace with God. But when you have peace with God, that will permeate its way through every aspect of your life. Does that make sense? So now you get to your application. See, you can't put the cart before the horse. Before we get the peace with other people, we got to get the peace with God. Now once we get peace with God and we really appreciate that blessing, now we want to hold on to it. We want to hold on to that peace. I don't want to ever be out of peace with God. So that means I'm going to seek to be at peace with others. You see? So what does that mean practically? Well, let me give you a few things to think about real quick. First, if I have real peace with God, like you just said, this is on my notes, it's going to motivate me to help other people gain that peace. Mm -hmm. I got the peace, now I want other people to have the peace. And so often, in our daily lives, we're not thinking that way. We're, we're thinking selfishly. Oh, I got the peace. And these people in this room got this peace, and I'm good with that. But I should always be thinking, why won't you to have this peace? My co-worker, my next-door neighbor. My, my, my teammate, I want you to have that peace too. So that's got to be our mindset, that it's not just us having the peace selfishly, but we want to have other people get the peace. Yes, sir, Rick. I was, I was going to say, though, that still can cause some conflict and strife. Jesus in chapter 10, <coughs> starting in verse 34, said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. Yes. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And he basically tells us, you're going to have conflict with those that are not come to the same understanding and belief that, that you will have. In fact, that actually ties what you're saying there to the next beatitude, <laughs> doesn't it? Yes. So there is a balance there. You know, and that happened with the early Christians. Think about those people in Acts 2. 
when they obeyed the gospel. You think they had some conflicts in their family after they gave up Judaism? Of course they did. So, following Jesus will bring about conflict in many cases. That's absolutely right. And it may even bring about conflict when I'm trying to help them gain peace. So that, that's, that's a great point. But I think we can all agree that still, we still need to be motivated, even with our enemies, to help them gain that peace. And if they reject it, what do we do? Well, we go to somebody else. And we try to help somebody else get the peace. All we can do is try. That's a great point. So here's another thing you do. So we got the first part. We want to help other people gain that peace. But if you're going to be a peacemaker, you also got to be motivated to avoid strife and gossip and dissension. And that's a problem, even in the church. In the church, there are too many people who call strife and gossip and dissension. There are too many people at times, and I'm not talking about anybody specifically here, I'm just talking in general terms, who are all about causing problems and being critical before being peacemakers. We don't need that. You know what we need more of in the church? We need more peacemakers. we got plenty of strife makers. we got plenty of gossips in the church. we got plenty of troublemakers in the church. we got plenty of people in the church who will point out everything that they think is wrong and everything that the elders can do better or the preacher can do better or the deacons can do better or a Bible class teacher can do better. we got plenty of them in the church. They're all over the place. You know, we don't have enough of, we don't have enough peacemakers. Philippians 2. Yes! When, when you're talking about the part with Jesus. Is that what you're talking about? How he humbled himself? 2, two, two four, three, four. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. That's, that's where I was going to. Let me read that, by the way, Peggy. Because I think, I think that's a good text there. That's a good text. Philippians 2, two through 4. Is that what you're thinking of? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what I had in mind, too. Where it says, Make my joy complete. By being of the same mind, maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Peggy, we need more people like that. It's easy to read that. Harder to do. So if you've got real peace with God, you're going to avoid being a troublemaker. Uh, and Paul also talked about that in Ephesians 2 when he says that Jesus came to break down the barrier or the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles and bring peace between them, make them into one body. There was hostility between Jews and Gentiles in the first century, but through Jesus, peace was obtained between the nations. Uh, Sharon, yes ma'am. Uh, James and I were talking about this last night and it was um, just something I think I read on the internet or something like that. It was... When Christ said to love our enemies, he already knew how they behave. Yes. And there's a lot to unpack there. Absolutely. In fact, again, what you're saying there, this is a perfect tie-in. Ties in perfectly to the next beatitude, which is about your enemies. Uh, so I'm going to say more about that. Yes, sir, Mike. Just Get your hand up, sir. Yeah, just real um, quick. Since you were talking about divisions and him attacking the Pharisees, <laughs> there was division between themselves. Yes. The Pharisees, the Sadducees. Yes. They'd all fractured into who God is and how we serve Him. Oh, excellent point. And Jesus point. came to say, hey, you know what? You're all wrong. They, You're just all wrong. Even the Jews were divided in the they, first century. They were. And so you brought up the church yes. and fractions. They were already divided. They were. God's people have always had that, it seems. Divisions. Oh, who, can, who understands the Bible more? more. Who's, who do we think is... 
Who, you know, more religious. He's the than best others. preacher. He yes. said it. So who's the best rabbi? Here we go with Corinthians. Who, yes. Who's the best? I follow them. Even the apostles were divided. Oh, and Jesus had to straighten them out and say, You gotta be a servant. Well, that's 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 excellent, Mike. So we want we want to avoid that. If we have peace with God, we shouldn't be troublemakers. We shouldn't be troublemakers in the church. We shouldn't be troublemakers in the world. Yes, sir, Andy. I just want to add to that real quick that even though there was a lot of division between the Jews, in the end they were all united with the one goal to kill Jesus. <laughs> so he was a peacemaker in that sense. <laughs> well, the Herodians and the Pharisees who couldn't stand each other teamed up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even Pilate and Herod became friends from then on, the scripture says. Yes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I still think one of the greatest accomplishments of the gospel, though, was the Jewish acceptance of the Gentiles and the Gentiles' acceptance of the Jews and all of that coming together. It's huge. They were first called Christians in Antioch. That's it. <clears throat> What's so interesting about that? Well, that is the first what we would call mixed congregation. We had Jews and Gentiles together. Okay. And then later on, yes, and then later on in the gospel, you find Gentiles sending money to Jews. Yeah. That's all because of Jesus. They would never have done that without a love for Jesus first. That's where it starts. That's the point of this. You get peace with God, then that permeates throughout your life. That's why the Spirit had Paul call it the great mystery. Yes, that is the great mystery. Ephesians 3. Yes. So a couple more things here. If you're a peacemaker, you go watch your mouth. We don't watch our mouths enough. We say the first things that come out of our mouths. James calls the tongue something that can't be tamed. It's very difficult. And so often, we cause division and problems in, in our lives and in other people's lives because of our mouths. How often have you been guilty of that? I, hundreds of times in my case. Hundreds of times. And then, a peacemaker is going to always work out problems. So often we run from problems. We run from confrontation. Because who likes confrontation? Who likes it? Nobody likes it. Matthew 18, where Jesus says, go to your brother when you see him in, in, in sin, may be the most neglected commandment of Jesus in, in the gospel. Because we don't like confrontation. We'd rather go tell the elders about it or go tell somebody else about it instead of dealing with it ourselves. Put it on social media. Put it on social media. <laughs> Air it out for the whole 10,000 people to see before we deal with it personally. So Jesus here is talking about being a peacemaker, but remember, you get peace with God first. Then if you have peace with God, that should impact your relationships. You want to help the lost gain peace. You want to have peace in the church and on your job or wherever you may be. You don't want to be a troublemaker there either. You want to get along as much as you can because that's going to gain, help you gain influence and help other people get peace. So true children of God are peacemakers. They're at peace with God and at peace with others. Now, let's go to the next part. We need to get this next part in real quick. Matthew 5.10 Because Rick and Sharon have already been hinting at it, which is really good, and I appreciate that. And we need to talk about it in the next 15 minutes here. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here we find the final blessing that Jesus offers in this section of the sermon. Blessed are the persecuted, 
persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for God's glory. I submit that this may be the most shocking of all the Beatitudes. This is the most shocking one. I mean, this one right here is nothing like the other ones. Okay? The other ones was about, you know, your own plowing your, the field of your heart. You know, as we talked about in the first lesson this month, plowing the field of your heart, getting your heart right with God. Well, this one doesn't have anything to really do with that. This one doesn't have anything to do with you, you know, doing something with your heart. This is, has to do with how people are going to respond to your heart. How the world is going to respond to the life you're living if you get these other things. That's what this one's about. This one tells us that while we will get blessings if we have these qualities, if we're poor in spirit, gentle, hungry and thirst for righteousness, pure in heart, peacemakers even, while God's going to bless us if we get this stuff, you know how the world's going to respond? They're going to be ugly to us. They're not going to go, oh, look at Rick, he's such a great Christian. Oh, I can see Jesus in him. Oh, I'm going to give him a raise on his job. No. The world's going to hate us. The world's going to persecute us. The world's even going to do all they can to make us suffer. That's what, that's what Jesus says. And isn't that radical? Who would have thought that? Can you imagine sitting there, listening to Jesus preach this, and you hear him say that? Wait a minute, where did that come from? So I get these blessings from God if I live this way, but the world's going to hate me. I'm going to be persecuted. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's just fire this off real quick. What kind of persecution? Because Jesus says, you're going to be persecuted. You need to expect it. You need to know it's coming. So... Are we being persecuted anyway in the 21st century America? <laughs> Are we being persecuted? Somebody tell me how are we being persecuted. Well, um, what you say? And then I'm gonna get you over there next. What you mentally, say? Mentally. Like, give me an example. You say mentally. He said mentally. Like, what do you like? What do you mean there? It maybe at the job for what you believe in, people will talk down to you or verbally abuse your belief. So some mock. We get mocked. Yeah. That's, to me, that's mental. That's mental. Yeah, that's mental abuse. Yes, ma'am. Well, I was going to say that it ties back to like the peace thing and the idea that peace is really deceptive because like world peace requires an immense amount of conformity. Mm -hmm. So you have to conform to whatever. Like it could be not a good thing, but if everyone's doing it, everyone agrees on it, then that's peace. Yes. And so I mean, when when Christians are are going against you know what the world is saying, hey, everyone agrees on this. This is what it requires for peace, and then Christians just say, "No, that's not what we're gonna do." That creates um, conflict, and so that's I think great. that that's what's going on. Like that's in the very world, rich. That's what we're being pushed towards globally is to have a global conformity and a way of thinking. And then what's keeping that from going about is Christians and people standing up saying. No, we're not going to conform to that because that's not, we're not going to go for world peace. Why can't and you just is. go alone to get along? Yeah. <laughs> no, that is, that is, that is deep. I like that. Mike, I'm going to let you say something. I want to say more about what you just said. In fact, like, you may want to go with that. So. Just, just to back up on yes. this, is they're calling evil good and good evil and we're supposed to buy into it. Man. And that is what, then that causes 
Why do you guys make such a big deal about homosexuality? You should be able to love who you want to love. It's not your business who somebody goes to bed with. We should we progress as a as a nation as a people. We should just you should just go with it. What is the big deal about you telling a woman what to do with her body? Why do you guys make such a big deal about gender identity and all these things? Even in the religious world, if you stop and think about it, if we even go deeper, there's a there's this mentality there. It shouldn't matter what church you go to. Why be baptized? It should that shouldn't matter. You're a good person. These people believe in God. You know, if you even think about it with what we believe, even gets people think we're very rigid. Very rigid in our beliefs. And so that we even get, as members of the Lord's Church, we get persecuted by religious people, not just the world. If you stop to think about it, at least I know in my own family, well, I'm one of only three Christians, biblically speaking, Christians. Absolutely, brother Donald, you got a name sharing after that. The, in, in writing these blogs, I've come up to with a couple of them uh, on on truth and the concept that is going along through the colleges and universities is that everybody is, has a right to their own truth. Mm -hmm. And what you believe is okay for you, what I believe is okay for me. Mm -hmm. And with that concept, we should not have any conflict. Mm -hmm. So how's come my truth isn't good enough for them? That's, that, that means we live in a postmodern society, that's where that's coming from. Yeah. That, that, that's exactly right. And that is the mindset many people care. Sharon and then Rick and then, then I'm going to get moving here. Yes, ma'am. Sort of tag along with that. It's like the mentality nowadays is is everyone's truth is okay unless you have traditional values like Christianity, which limits what you're allowed to believe. Except you. So, Except yeah. you. Yeah. So everything goes. Everyone is correct. Everyone is right. Except when it comes to, you know, I can't tell you the number of times I've had people say, well, you know, people can love who they want to love, or, you know, a woman can do what she wants with their body, and then somebody asks me, I wait until people ask me what I believe because I like share, and you're, at, you're awfully quiet. And I say, well, I don't agree with that. And then they get really they're not into, They're not tolerable towards your beliefs. Exactly. I'm like, well, yeah. if, you, if you're allowed it's to... It's a double believe, standard. What about me? So they preach tolerance, and yet they're intolerable <coughs> towards exactly. Christians. Exactly. That's exactly what we're living in. Uh, Rick, yes, sir. I think she kind of nailed the head. The persecution is a conflict or a clash between two irreconceivable <coughs> value systems. Yes. And the world tries to make its value system, and that's where the conflict can And if you don't go with it... Yep, you're in conflict. <laughs> so write this down to go with what Rick is saying in, in this whole conversation. Write down 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 16. Read that today, please. Read 1 Peter 4, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. Because Peter is basically repeating what Jesus says here. He is saying that when persecution comes your way, or my way, don't be surprised. You know, I'm going to talk frank with you here. I have a, a, a fear with Christians. I don't think we handle persecution well today as Christians. I really don't. We freak out too much. Have you noticed that? I hear it all the time. Somebody shut down another church in California. Oh! The world is over. Christianity's not going to make it in America. Facebook took down another sermon. Oh, man. We need to stop and realize how silly we act. We're acting silly. Because when we read Acts, 
what we going through, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don't even come 1% close. These Christians are getting beaten. They're being separated from their families. They're being thrown in jail. They're being killed. When we read Acts this year, I hope we'll get some perspective. Now, we do get some persecution. And I do think it's going to get worse for us in this country. I believe that. It's, the storm is coming. Don't think I'm not saying that. I mean, the signs are there more than they've ever been for us. The government is about to crack down on us. I see it coming. The world is cracking down on us. So don't y'all think I'm not saying that. But I am saying that we need to go to our Bibles and learn how to deal with it better. That's all I'm saying. You know what the Christians did in the Bible when they got persecuted? You read Acts 4, you know what they did? They prayed. They didn't go complain about it. In fact, when you look at the prayer in Acts 4, they never said, God, take the persecution away from us. They never said that. You know what they said? God, give us a strength to go through it. Give us strength to get through it. That's what they said. But so often we don't say it. We want it to go away. No, we need to embrace it. Because Jesus said it's going to come. Yes, ma'am. Acts 6.40 is what came to mind immediately. When they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they left the presence of the camp's council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Absolutely. That's, um, what was that, see, what was, were you sure? At, at 640. Let's see, because I don't, it's got to, it can't be six, it's got to be some, I think you might be looking at five. Is that five? Oh, Acts five. Yes, that's Acts five. Yes. Um, Acts five forty. Yes, that's a great text. That's what they did, but, 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 but so often we don't do that. And so, and I think it's because we've been spoiled too much. We've been spoiled in this great country. And now there was some persecution that's coming. Oh, no! It's not the 40s and the 50s anymore. Well, of course it's not. Our parents, we don't make $2 a day like our parents and grandparents did either anymore. It's a different time. It's a different time now. But we shouldn't be surprised because, let me ask you this. Did the prophets get persecuted? In the Old Testament? Yeah. Jeremiah get persecuted? Get thrown in the pit? Yeah. Isaiah? Daniel? Malachi? What about the apostles? They get persecuted? Yeah. What about the early church? Did they get persecuted? What about Jesus? Did Jesus get persecuted? In your workbook, in John 15 and verse 20, and it's often, you know, we don't go through the questions exactly in the class. Those are for you kind of study at home. But in John 15 and verse 20, I do have that in the workbook. That's a reference there where Jesus says that they persecuted me. They're going to do the same to you. They're going to do the same to you. In fact, look over at Peter real quick, please. If y'all give me a couple more minutes here. In 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. Peter talks about Jesus being persecuted. And so often we use this verse out of context. Let's try to keep it in the context here. This is in the context of Jesus being persecuted. And it says in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, For you've been called for this purpose, as Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a what? An example. To follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So, and, that, and Peter continues to go on with that, with that thought in the next few verses. But notice how Jesus, he was persecuted, but he got through it. In fact, he gave us an example of how to get through it. So let me just give you a couple of things here. How did Jesus get through his 
What did Jesus do in his persecution to leave us as an example? Here are three things to write down. Number one, Jesus never compromised his integrity. That's what Peter is saying there. No sin, no foul in his mouth. So we're going to be persecuted. They're going to get you on Facebook. They're going to get you on Twitter. They may shut your page down. Okay? They may mock you on your job for what you believe. They may be intolerable towards you, but don't ever compromise your integrity. You still live a Christian life no matter what. Jesus never compromises integrity. Number two, he wasn't ashamed of God's plan. The Jews persecuted him because they didn't like the kind of Messiah he was or that he claimed to be. They wanted a David Messiah. Jesus never said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not the kind of Messiah y'all were looking for. I'll change. No, Jesus was not ashamed of the poor carpenter from Nazareth Messiah that he was. He wasn't ashamed of the spiritual Messiah that he was. And we don't ever need to be ashamed. I know we're in the minority when it comes to gay marriage and abortion and gender identity and all that stuff. But when we compromise on that and when we lighten up on that, you know what we're saying? I'm ashamed of God's plan. I'm ashamed of what God has said about homosexuality. I'm ashamed of what God has said about abortion. I'm ashamed of what God has said about a one church and about baptism. When we compromise and are afraid to speak up even while being persecuted, you know what we're really saying? We are ashamed of God's plan. And then number three. Number three. Jesus was motivated by the goal. The goal ultimately was to glorify God. And Jesus wanted to accomplish that goal. Now, what's our goal, ultimately? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 12, Rejoice and be glad, for great is what? Your reward in heaven. See, if you're having a hard time getting through persecution and you're struggling, think about the end result. If I get through this, guess what's going to happen? Heaven it's like trying to lose weight. You exercise. It hurts than the exercise. Now, Daisy wouldn't agree with that. Daisy runs 10 miles a day. But for the rest of us, man, it hurts, don't it? It hurts. But why do, we, why do people do it still? Why do people go through the pain? Because you think about the end result. I want to lose this weight. I want to get my heart right. It's the same with persecution. You get through it by thinking about the end result. So let's stop right there, okay? Uh, we're going to, I have a couple more things I want to say about this last part here Wednesday. But then we want to talk about salt and light. Salt and light. What does that mean? Okay? Let's stop right there. That was some good comments today. Y'all did wonderful. Thank you so much.